Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is March 2nd, 2020, and it's going to be a super fast week. Uh, There's a lot coming in with March and a lot to talk about today. I mean, everyone's talking about the same thing. So what do we do on this show? We don't talk about what everybody's talking about. But we are going to talk about the coronavirus, but we're going to take it back a little bit and kind of talk about some other things in regards to it. We're also going to talk about what we've been talking about here since 2018. Didn't I say the war is going to spark from Idlib? And there you have it. Two years and somewhat in the making. And, you know, you have to wonder, okay, so I'm talking about it. Does nobody else see it? Why isn't any, why didn't anybody else talk about it and bring this to the table earlier because they don't want you to know. That's why. Because, well, maybe it's because you're not supposed to know what's really going on. And we've noticed this and this was the whole point. You've known about it. You've known about Turkey. You've known about the Eastern Med. You've known about Idlib. You've known about all these things. All my listeners are very well informed of how this is going to play out And I hope all of you with Who Is Q Is Trending understand what the plan really is. We already know. We already see. And everything will tie together. I mean, no one thinks about space relations. Nobody thinks about these things. Of course they do. Their job is to obfuscate. Even those that you believe are great commentators or researchers Pay attention to who's telling you stuff no one's talking about. Pay attention who's giving you common sense responses. You know, we talked about the uh, um, indictments in Latvia and in Ukraine six months before people started talking about it. Why? Because it's there. You have to understand that those on the right are also obfuscating. They're one in the same. There was never really two parties up until President Trump came along. Many of you are starting to see that. Speaking of President Trump, his CPAC speech was great. Uh, You know, he was in his element with people that support him. And, you know, I was speaking with Scott Adams earlier, and it seems that uh, in the end that, Three years ago, CPAC wasn't Trump's place, happy place. Not even two years ago. It's now his happy place now. And we see that it's his happy place. He felt at home because he was talking to his people. Not all of them, but most of them. A lot of them are great fakers, right? We see a lot of great fakers. A lot of people that are in there just for the in there. And they don't seem to realize that what President Trump is going to accomplish in the next, you know, six years, six years, uh, you know, is to ensure that this can continue on. And our job as the people, as the shareholders of this nation, is to ensure that his hard work, his toiling, and not only his, but all those named and unnamed people right now going through some crazy stuff, being attacked left and right because they've come out of the woodwork, 
and they're doing what's right. It's a really hard decision to do, isn't it, guys? When you decide that you're going to come out and you're going to speak up because you know at that point your life is over in the sense that they will come at you as hard as they can. Um, so I want us to kind of start on a good note because I'm having a really, really not nicely Monday. So I'm really hoping this kind of, you know, mellows out a little bit. Uh, this morning has been both bitter and sweet. Uh, both the great things have happened and both horrible things, you know, in regards to information and, you know, my sphere in general, right? But... um you know, things, we have to be optimistic or else what's the point? And I think maybe we should start with a little bit more lightheartedness before we delve into analyzing how all of this was all meant to happen the way it happens. And I know many of you are starting to see signs where you're not comfortable with Barr. Like I've said, I've expressed my concerns with Barr too. And this is why I wrote those two articles about William Barr. Uh, I've expressed my concerns, but I'd like to believe that it's all about redemption because I believe that people are innately good. And even though I've seen people that I've given 100% faith in um, have turned out to be horrific uh, as human beings, I have to say that I have still have faith that uh, human beings are kind. Now, the one thing that concerns me a little bit is the fact that um, the Goldman Sachs, you know, whole thing going on is a little bit of a concern, you know, because the person put there to work on it is a guy named Sachs, Alexander Sachs. And he's been fleecing our government uh, for for decades. And he just happens to be William Barr's uncle. So it's a little bit concerning on that end. But I want to have faith that there's a reason that redemption, redemption is the best, uh, I would say, motivator. When people try to redeem themselves. Um, and I want to believe that this is it. Okay, so that's all I'm going to say on that. So I thought that we could start a little bit uh, uh, lighthearted, right? So we can um, listen to our president who had an amazing, uh, you know, CPAC convention speech, etc. I mean, it was awesome. And it was exactly what all of us uh, aspired to see. My most favorite thing that he ever did was hug the flag. And the fact that he did it there again was just incredible. I, I, I completely enjoyed it. I loved it. It was perfect. It was completely perfect. It was the perfect thing for him to do. But the funniest part was him mocking Minnie Mike. And CNN, I wanted to tell you guys, like, try this. CNN actually put out a video about it on YouTube, and it's titled Trump Taunts Bloomberg and Gets Standing Ovation. Now, if you go to YouTube to watch that, you will not see it. Here's what happens. And I sat for the whole thing. They'll play a paid advertising uh, advertisement of like three minutes long for Shen Yu, 
when the advertisements finish, you have to press play again, repeat, and it's not the ad, it'll show you the video. This is how they make it hard for their listeners and followers, you know, the mindless Americans that follow them blindly off of cliffs um, to listen to them because they won't see this. So take a listen to their commentary and the snippet that they played. Hold on. Let's get it. So this is this was really good. This was awesome. And it was so nicely timed and comedic. I actually really enjoyed it. We got mini Mike, but I think he's out of it. I would like to spend seven hundred million dollars and end up with nothing. Mini Mike. I know him well. I knew that was going to happen. That was probably the worst debate performance in the history of presidential debates. Do we agree? Has there ever been anything like that? But he's going to keep spending the money. I think this weekend he's going to... I hear his ad stop on Tuesday. He's going for Tuesday. He's going to spend a lot of money. It just shows you that you can't buy an election. I mean, it just... There's a point at which people say... You got to bring the goods a little bit, too. You got to bring the goods. Boy, did Pocahontas destroy him, I'll tell you. And look what I did to her. She choked, you know, she... Speaking of what he did to her, you guys do know that the Department of Justice Civil Rights Division has actually found Harvard guilty of hiring people and offering uh, studentships uh, that is unfair. Uh, their selection criteria based on race, color, and ethnicity has been proven to be racist. So that's what he also did to her. He went out and got a test because I was killing her with a Pocahontas. <laughs> Remember I said, I have more Indian blood in me than she does, and I have none. <laughs> right? I said it. I said it to her. Love to have some, but I have none. And she was getting hit with that name, Pocahontas. That was one of the good ones. And they said, we want you to apologize for that name. And I did. I apologized. Nobody ever heard me apologize before. I apologized to the real Pocahontas. I apologized. (laughs) But she went out and she said, oh, this guy's killing me. Remember, she was dropping like a rock. But I learned something. Never do it too early. A year and a half before the election, I said, what am I doing? I should have saved it, but that's all right. Because she had those burning embers, and then she started, but ultimately she failed. She's gone, so. But uh, she was really mean to Minnie Mike, I'll tell you, the way she treated him. He didn't know what hit him. He's going, oh, get me off of this stage. Get me off. Get me off of this stage. That was awesome. That's where he crouched down, where he can't see over the podium. But he's right, and he has every right to do so, to to mock at them, because this is how hilarious and ridiculous they are.
Well, thank you very much. We hit a nerve there, huh? Bad guy. When I finally went back to college. Okay, so um, actually CNN cut that off. That was pretty awesome. So I just wanted to tell you while everyone was chanting, he was looking at something that was a little bit concerning the way he was looking at it as if something was going on. Um, so, uh, and I think that was more messaging between him and his people rather than anything else. So I thought I would bring that up as we enter into listening to his opening remarks at CPAC. I would have loved him to have rubbed it in a little bit more uh, that CPAC was never behind him and they should have been behind him when they weren't. So um, I want to get, well, actually, I want to get to that. But first, I want to get to the um, live briefing at the Pentagon by Asper and General Milley. Uh, This is going to be really important. Uh, And I don't know which one they're going to go for. Is it going to be talking about what's going on in Syria? Or are they going to be talking about, um, you know, the fact that the Taliban political party, we have now uh, diffused that situation are they going to be talking about Qatar's influence on our right wing media are they going to be talking about uh, you know uh, Russia and uh, Turkey the refugee issues or are they going to talk about that list that so many of us help compile between 2000 and 2006 to take down a list of people within the Pentagon that were part of one of the most massive, massive and still operating child trafficking networks. These CTNs are so huge. And all I can say is, thank God for Space Force. That's all I'm going to say on that. Entities. My number one priority remains to protect our forces and their families. Second, to safeguard our mission capabilities. And third, to support the interagency whole-of-government approach. We will continue to take all necessary precautions to ensure that our people are safe and able to continue their very important mission. With that, I'll turn it over to Chairman Milley. Thanks, Secretary, and uh, good morning to everyone. Uh, First, I want to say that uh, as a veteran of multiple tours in Afghanistan, a former commander of IJC, uh, I fully support the agreement uh, that we signed over the weekend. And I know I speak uh, for those of us in uniform. A negotiated political settlement is the only responsible way to end the war in Afghanistan, and this was an important step. This agreement would not have been possible without the thousands of soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines that have served and sacrificed over the last 18 years. We owe an extraordinary debt of gratitude to America's sons and daughters who made the ultimate sacrifice and their families who have given their all to this nation. And this not only includes the military, but also the dedicated men and women of the State Department and the intelligence community, as well as our allies and partners from over 40 nations. This agreement, as the Secretary said, is conditions-based, and the best opportunity to end the war is now. Protect U.S. national security interest is foremost in this agreement, and it provides the best hope for a peaceful future for the people of Afghanistan. I would also like to highlight the potential impact of coronavirus and echo uh, what the Secretary just said uh, on our military force and and on our operations and preparations. The Department of Defense 
under the Secretary's direction, has standing plans to respond to infectious disease outbreaks, and we're executing those plans at our bases and operating locations around the world in order to, one, protect the soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, and their families, to sustain our ability to continue to defend the United States and execute successfully the national defense strategy, and to support the whole-of-government response to the outbreak. We're communicating regularly with our operational commanders to assess how the virus might impact our exercises and ongoing operations around the world to include our readiness, including those of our allies and partners as well. The U.S. Armed Forces remains ready to defend the homeland and provide support to the interagency partners that are currently leading this effort. And with that, I'd be happy to take your questions. Hi. Um, Mr. Secretary, there's already been some violence, uh, violent attacks, uh, particularly up around coast today. Um, is there now an opening for the Taliban to conduct any violence for the next you know, several days until whatever agreement is reached? Or is the group able to conduct attacks now against either Afghan or the U.S.? And, um, General, can you just address uh, the U.S. CT efforts from now on? Will the U.S. continue to conduct CT, particularly against other groups? And does this idea of now new attacks against um, potentially Afghan forces restrict the U.S. ability to train with the Afghans? So I'll take the first question. Uh, our expectation is that a reduced uh, level of violence would occur and it would decrease over time as we move forward. Uh, as we see these things happen, first of all, we have to, we have to verify that uh, an action, uh, an attack happened. And then we have to figure out attribution. And we work our way through this, uh, uh, you know, day after day. So this is going to be a step-by-step process, and we'll evaluate each day. And I'm confident in General Miller's capabilities on the ground to do that and to give us good feedback as with regard to the implementation of the uh, base agreement. So two, two things, uh, Lita. Um, one is the Taliban is not a monolithic group. There's multiple terrorist organizations operating over there. So we don't know. I know the attack you're talking about. We've got some initial reports on it. Uh, we don't know exactly who did that yet. Um, that's the first point. Secondly, um, I would caution everybody to, to uh, think that there's going to be an absolute cessation of violence in Afghanistan. That is probably not going to happen. It's probably not going to go to zero. Uh, so this this is a significant step forward, uh, this agreement, and it's going to lead to inter-Afghan uh, dialogue, and it ultimately leads to a peace agreement. Uh, but to think that it's going to go to zero immediately, uh, that probably is not going to be the case. Uh, so on the CT piece, uh, the United States will uh, stay committed to secure our national security interests, uh, and that has been the commitment of this administration and pre- previous administrations. So we'll maintain whatever capabilities necessary to defend the United States against terrorists. And I'll just a quick follow-up, Lita. I spoke to this in Kabul on uh, on Saturday. Uh, we still are going to conduct counterterrorism o- uh, operations against ISIS-K and other groups that are out there. Uh, can you update us, uh, either of you, on the drawdown of U.S. troops in Afghanistan? Laboratories are working on vaccine which lab okay i wanted to chop chop jump over jump over to the coronavirus questions because this is interesting and families and we intend to do that and we'll provide whatever assistance is needed to them uh, to include time off and working with their employers etc if they're working with civilian employers to include uh, supplemental uh, help uh, if they're if they lack uh, supplies etc in the home if they have if they get infected they have to be at home for say a two or three weeks something like that so yes we'll work with our families and, mm-hmm. and troops 
Um, how many uh, U.S. personnel forces have been tested for uh, for COVID-19? And could you give us a sense, when you said that laboratories are working on a vaccine, which laboratories? Um, and are, are they working in conjunction with private uh, industry as well, or are they just working on their own and hoping for the best? Well, on the testing, we'd have to get you go offline and get you separate numbers. You know, obviously, we're doing testing in Korea, for an example, given, that, uh, given the numbers there. And uh, with regard to labs, Fort Detrick, for example, was involved in, in terms of working with the interagency to uh, help provide, given their expertise and their capabilities. And then uh, just a, a quick follow-on. On, you said that there'd be no impact on exercises. You know, Cobra Gold is going on. Is there any special screening for uh, folks from other member nations in Cobra Gold? And you know, what about folks at Aviano? Is there any kind of special precautions being taken to isolate them from the outbreak in northern Italy? The commanders are, are taking all necessary precautions because this is unique to every situation and every location. So we've sent out, as I said, memorandums and directives. The commanders have the information they need, and we're relying on them to make good judgments. And uh, as we tease out other issues such as was raised uh, that come up through the services we continue we will continue to deal with those i have another we have another meeting at the end of this week with all the service secretaries and combatant commanders on it chairman there's, there's, there's three specific things uh, access to bases is being restricted in certain uh, locations such as northern italy and, and, and in south korea as an example mm-hmm. uh, uh, secondly is travel restrictions so the soldiers that are on these uh, bases or airmen that are on these bases are being restricted in terms of their travel inside the AOR, inside the community, uh, in Cent- Central Command, UCOM, and in uh, Indo-PACOM. Uh, so the travel restriction piece. And then the last uh, last piece is uh, is with with respect to the uh, uh, protective gear that's uh, and test kits that are being distributed. Uh, we are pushing some of that forward with the priority distribution going to this, the peninsula, Korea. Jennifer? Um, Secretary Esper, what will the U.S. do if Turkey invokes Article 5 in Syria? And General Milley, um, were Russian pilots or warplanes involved in killing those Turkish troops on the ground in Syria? You know, I'm going to pause it right there, that audio, and we're going to leave it. Because I just wanted to hit up the coronavirus first uh, before we get into uh, Syria and before we get into um, Article 5 that they can't invoke, you know, stuff like that. So um, I wanted to leave it there and have you guys um, kind of think back to uh, the year 2000. And there's this organization called CHAI, the Clinton Health Access Initiative. Many people that uh, are aware of the actions of the Clintons understand what CHAI is. Now, the incredible part is, is that CHAI, um, or the Clinton Health Initiative, uh, focused on one specific thing for eight years. And that was to enable... ARV drugs um, as a separate 501c3 for 11, well, 11 to 12 million um, people, right? And their goal was to help people that have HIV and AIDS, and they focused on pediatric AIDS and malaria. Now, that's funny. Because you know how, you know, it's just so kismetty, you know, serendipitous in a way. But when I was um, taking a couple of courses in like biostatistics and epidemiology, I was taking this one seminar where we would like kind of look at cases that end up in the New England Journal. Now, 
in medical terms, if your case ends up in the New England Medical Journal, you're dead nine times out of 10. And they're finding out after you die, what's up? So I met this guy who was from uh, South America, who was a PhD candidate. And his research was being funded in part by a, you know, a nonprofit um, and also uh, the Clinton Initiative Health um, Foundation. And his research was to find that people that have been infected with malaria are more prone or resistant to get AIDS. Or or HIV, meaning if you had AIDS, um, it would speed up your death. And if you didn't have HIV or AIDS, uh, you might you you would be more virulent or non virulent. So what they noticed was that female prostitute. You know what? Let's wait till after the break because this is going to get about this is going to get real interesting, and you're going to see how this ties into the coronavirus because uh, that gets really interesting too. You have to think about it. You know, HIV is a political disease. So take that thought while we break. See you in a bit. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. So we were talking about coronavirus version 2019, um, and we talked about it on Friday, uh, where I told you that they were using it to like create this Asian racism, right? This is why Andrew Yang got a spot at CNN. We'll talk about Pete Buttplug later. But here we have the Clinton Health Initiative. Now, when they started this, they went into countries that were so poor and unable to get, um, you know, um, prices of drugs for HIV uh, to a point where they can provide it. How loving of them. Now, getting back to this student that I met. So his job was researching prostitutes that were HIV positive, that were having unprotected sex with men. And they would follow the men to see if they would get uh HIV. And they noticed that um, the pro- there were two sets of prostitutes. There were prostitutes that had malaria and prostitutes that didn't have malaria and men who had malaria and men who didn't have malaria. Turns out that if you had malaria as a male and had sex with a female that was HIV positive, if she had um, HIV and malaria, you'd get HIV. If she had just HIV and you had just malaria, the men would not get HIV. So this was really bizarre, right? Why would anyone right, research people giving a death kiss to other people? Oh, and it happens to be in the countries where the Clinton Health Initiative is there to help, of course. And, um, you know, apparently they were negotiating vaccines, devices, diagnostics. They were helping out children because they found that only one in 40 children um, were on treatment and one in eight adults. So they went out there to help them. And then you have to think, hold on a second. 
So why do we have AIDS concentrated in Africa? Right. HIV. And you're going to say, well, Tori, you know, we have it in the U.S. too. We have it in Europe. I mean, you know, the state of North Dakota has the highest rate of HIV um, and most of their victims are children. But anyway, I digress. So we go and look at the statistics and we see that it's highly concentrated in areas of poverty. But then when we look at the statistics, we also see the presence of these foundations like Chai and Epstein's work because Epstein had a lot of foundations. He was very, very rich. And so you're thinking, well, wait a minute. They have all these rich people giving out free medicines and yet their HIV rates have not declined and they're actually increasing <clears throat> and more money is being spent to those areas. Now, it's not the Clinton Health Initiative. It's something else and something else and something else and something else. They just pop up all these nonprofits. Nonprofits should stand for what? Huh? Money laundering, I guess. That's what it should stand for, because it seems like all of these nonprofits are complete fronts to move money around. All of them. You know, I, how many of you go to like the cash register? You want to put your change, you know, your charge is like $32.10. You want to put the 90 cents to nonprofit? I say, no, I'm not paying some person that sits as a CEO who gets a $300,000 salary. So my 90 cents becomes in fact 0.00001 cent to go to someone in need. No. These nonprofits have such high operating expenses that anything you donate goes into the pocket of the workers first for what administration, electronics and stuff like that. And then the people that actually need it get a fraction if they actually get it. And those are selected by them. Who gives us the better publicity? Who will, you know, make us more money? Who can we parade around? You know, that's how it works. So I want you guys to think, remember, I told you when this first started that the coronavirus is highly targeted to specific genetic codes. What I realized, though, through reading various results and research online that people have been posting from South Korea, from Italy, from China, from India, um, you know, in these chat groups that there are certain markers um, in the immune system that are being targeted. And the one thing that I noticed was it was consistent with the pneumonia vaccine, number one, and that has to do with the vector and think, who is it that gets pneumonia vaccine, guys? That's right. People over the age of 65. That's number one. Number two, uh, people that have a dormant or active HIV recessor. What do I mean? So, there were cohorts that were put out globally, and this is supposedly a secret. And if anyone says, well, prove it to me, I can't because no one's going to tell you that through certain vaccinations, they actually infected people with latent HIV. Um, and this goes down to that. Have you guys seen that commercial where there's like a bunch of people on TV? Yeah, you know, I take this, you know, because I have a partner that has HIV and I want to not get HIV and they take pills. Now, oh gosh, the, the medication name is slipping my mind, you guys. Um, darn it. 
it'll come to me at some point. Anyway, so in, in that TV commercial, it's all these people. They have regular people, trans people, gay people, straight people, polyamorous people. And they're all saying they're taking this. But what that medication does is actually it gives you HIV so that you don't get the other HIV. Make sense? So that's what's bizarre. <laughs> they're giving people HIV so they don't get HIV or AIDS. And it's like, that's not how it works. But anyway... So it seems that people that are high in the political sphere are the ones that have to worry about getting this. Because apparently, if you've got any inclinage or may have been exposed to HIV, you may be in a lot of trouble. And so what tickles me and blows my mind is that I saw that there was a disease that they call disease X happening in Africa. In Nigeria, 15 people died. In Ethiopia, tons. And in this, this disease X, which means they don't know what it is, I'm going to tell you what my little brain calculated. And this is a hypothesis, but it's not far off. I noticed that all the victims of this disease, this um, disease X, which is like flu symptoms for 24 hours, and then they're like bleeding from their eyes. They're like dead. Uh, some of these people can actually survive uh, for a little while, and then they send them home to just go and die. Um, it's happening. Guess what? In areas where they have a high population of people that have full-blown AIDS or, you know, HIV, and so I'm thinking, wow, if they're all dying and their eyes are like bleeding, literally, right? Literally bleeding. Um, and this has been happening for 30 days. So I've been following it on the back end on chat boards uh, to see when people drop something. But I noticed that the statistics that came in from Ethiopia, they were from a f specific faction. You know how they used to have lepers and leper colonies? So they have like AIDS colonies, right? And basically, it's not really a colony. It's like, you know who it is. So it's like, yeah, you're, you, we don't know. You stay there. Uh, these are people that have AIDS and HIV. So it m makes me think. So someone that has had HIV, right? Because you know, Magic Johnson and all magic. <laughs> or, um, and Bon Jovi, right? What happened with that? Didn't he have AIDS in like the 90s? He announced it and then everything went dead. It's like, nope, nope, nope. We don't know what you're talking about. I could have sworn. Maybe it's the Mandela effect. How many out you? I'd really like to know. DM me or email me at Tori at Tori says dot com or um, Twitter or on Facebook. Tori says page. Tell me, do you remember John Bon Jovi telling people that he had AIDS? Because I kind of remember that. And, uh, you know, it, uh, it blows my mind. He doesn't have it anymore. Kind of like Magic Johnson. Such magical stuff. But. And I didn't know about him getting any magical stuff. But um, the thing is, is I'm noticing, you know, the people that are getting it are up there. Um, and this is kind of like a scoop. It's not, you know, out there yet. But I'm pretty sure, I mean, my sources are pretty stellar. Someone from the royal family actually has um, coronavirus. So I... I can't verify that, but I trust that source. They've given me some really good stuff in the past. They even told me about the um, Canadian Brexit. Uh, no, crowns it. What? Wait, Harry being, you know, lapdog supposed strategy for them to leave and go to Canada. That one. So I want you guys to think. We already have the cure to AIDS and HIV because you have to think 
HIV was the biggest weapon, the biggest weapon ever deployed, and it was a political weapon. I can almost guarantee you that they can end you in a heartbeat by having you under control. I can just, through uh, what they have given you. Think about it this way. You know, a lot of people ask me about vaccines. Oh, should I get the flu? I'm not going to give you any advice. And I would never take whatever decision you make for yourself and your children on you. But I want to point out that almost 80% of babies who die suddenly, you know, in their sleep, have just been vaccinated. I'm just going to put that out there. You could check the statistics with the CDC. You could check it because that's statistics. So biowarfare is something that is one of the most disgusting and double-edged swords ever. Because once you deploy an agent like that, you don't know how it's going to work because these people are so stupid. So dumb. When you manipulate your genetics to the point that you are where you are, Pelosi, and the rest of you, your body is such a miracle of a machine that it rectifies. I've, I've many, many times said that, you know, crazy sensation I had when I saw that Craig Ventner had created his own bacterium. So mycobacterium tumefaciae, not tumefaciae, genitalium, um, he had that and he knocked out all the virulent genomes that that, you know, bacteria has. And in a very controlled environment, meaning you control the temperature, the oxygen, anything that goes in and out to be completely sterile, that bacterium was no longer virulent, it means it cannot infect people, it cannot do anything. And the reason that he was doing this was because he wanted to make that bacteria which is the one of the most simplest genetic codes that exist into a bacteria that creates gas. He wanted to create one that creates ethanol just right there, just tons of bacteria. I mean, that's super cheap. That's a genius idea. And remember who this guy is. He's a high school dropout that along with his partner took 10 years to decode the whole human genome. You remember the human genome product project? That was him. So he did this, but guess what? The minute he brought it out into nature where he didn't control the air, didn't control the temperature, didn't control the water, uh, the food, whatever that was around him, right? Anything around that bacteria. Guess what happened? Those genomes he knocked out suddenly appeared. So no matter how many genomes they knock out, no matter how structured they believe it is, Nature is incredible. Why? Because it's powered by a power source you cannot recreate. And that is something the creator created. So they will come at their own demise. But in the meantime, we already have the cures. So they can do as they wish. That's, that's how it goes. They could do as they wish on that. They could do as they wish. Because in the end... It always bites you in the tush, always. And so you have to think, this HIV virus was created, manufactured. I mean, did you hear the stories how it came out of King Tut's tomb, right? We've all heard the the mythology behind it. But it's actually been cured. You have the cure. I mean, just so you understand how HIV works, Quick crash course in immunology, okay, guys? 
when you, okay, for those of you that get allergic reactions, do you know what happens when you eat something that you don't respond to? It's because it has some certain something that makes your body want to fight it. And what happens is, is that your white blood cells, isonophils, basophils, whatever, they kind of get together and they start to empower, you know, start to go to the area where they feel is the enemy, right? They see you as the enemy. That's an allergic reaction. So your cells are being targeted, not the food you ate, not the thing you smelled. They target your cells. So you break out in hives or you, your throat closes up because you have so much of these, you know, immune cells going to fight something bad, but they're not fighting something bad. They're fighting you. That's, that's what it is. And this is actually the leading cause as to why, uh, when you have a spinal injury that you remain paralyzed. Do you know why? Because it's the initial, uh, immune response to the injury that messes it up. See, your spine can regrow. But your initial response is to send all these white cells to the, to the spinal cord that's broken and they create like this place of garbage where they eat the bad stuff and everything. It's literally called the no-go zone. No joke. No-go. N-O-G-O. And it creates like a scar so the, the actual neuronal tissue can't regrow even though it can regrow. Just so you know. And, um, there's, there's ways to do it. Expensive. Pretty out there. But hey, um, so your immune system is magical. It targets things, it misinterprets, it can misinterpret things and attack you. HIV is just like that. Think of a ball and every and this ball has like all these little antennas on it. And each antenna is an antenna for a piece of you. Heart cell, you know, stomach cell, <laughs> muscle cell, skin cell, hair cell, eye cell, water cell, whatever, whatever. All the all the antennas. So what it does is it hangs out and then it gets activated to attack you 100%. Like on all fronts. Why can't we take that out? Yeah, we can. Yes, we can. But why aren't we? Well, you know, weapon. So, you know, this clown agency, good thing is it's falling into the right hand slowly and we'll have a better um, move on that. Uh, I mean, you know, you have to think about it. Uh, how is it that some people have AIDS? And we don't even hear about it a lot anymore, do we, guys? You don't. You don't hear about it too much. It's pretty insane. Now, I wanted to remind you guys, um, before we roll into Turkey and Syria, how the president during his speech said something pretty incredible. He told you something that the world is asking for. He told you something that is trending. He told you something incredible if you were listening. So, you know, I'm, I'm a linguist and I like to decode things. I want you guys to listen to this. Say to them, five more years. So it's fine. Five, I. But you then say, maybe nine, maybe 13, maybe 17, maybe... Five. So five. Mm, maybe that's what I was talking about another six years. But listen to this. Then he says maybe nine, letter I. Maybe 13, letter M. Maybe 21. Over. 17 and 21. I am Q. I just thought I'd tell you that that was pretty interesting. The numbers were very specific. 
I don't know if you guys heard that. Would you like to hear him again, uninterrupted? Take a listen. When you say to them, five more years, so it's fine. But you then say, maybe nine, maybe 13, maybe 17, maybe 21. Oh, no. Maybe 21. That's it. Uh, He tells you everything you need to know always, doesn't he? That's our president. He tells you everything you need to know. And today, all of you that have been following Tori Says from the get-go, all of you that have heard us talking about the great uh, Third World War is all coming to that point now. It's a lot faster than I thought. I didn't expect it so soon. Um, But it's here. And um, it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. So it was pretty interesting to see. I thought um, we could listen to our president's opening speech quickly when he got to CPAC. Because within the first five minutes, he said a lot. Listen. We say that we'll be back at CPAC with the thousands of proud American patriots who love our country, respect our flag, honor our history. Uphold our laws, protect our Constitution, and always put America first, right? Been a long time. We had a great night yesterday in South Carolina. That was incredible. We filled up a stadium like you haven't seen. This stadium was packed and thousands of people outside. And I saw the competitors, our competitors that have like two people on a street corner. It's, uh, it's incredible what's going on. This is uh, a movement, like, honestly, like nobody's ever seen before. We say that. We say that. And, you know, if it wasn't so, the fake news media would be all over us, right? They'd say it wasn't so. He exaggerated. If I say it all the time, they never change it. You know, every once in a while, you see somebody who did well, let's say well, in New Hampshire, or did well, not even win it, in Iowa, and the whole life of that person is made because we won the election. We did well in those places. Sit down, everybody, if you want. Sit down. We won the election. So it's good. And I came here and I got to know Matt and Mercedes early on. And I made a speech before I thought about doing this. I said, would you speak? I was very famous then, too. I guess more famous now. But I was very famous, and I made a speech, and they liked the speech. They said, you ought to run for president. I said, no, thanks. You remember that, Matt? You ought to run for president. We had a big crowd, and it was, The Apprentice was doing so well. It was like a hot, to put it mildly, show. And Matt said, you ought to run for president. I said, let me give it a little thought. And a couple of years later, we said, let's do it. And then they said, uh, i never forget one of... Uh, the people respected guy, Charles Krautheimer, right? He said on, uh, well, this isn't so good, but he said on Fox, he said, now, why would he do this? You have 17 of the most talented professionals ever assembled that are running. Why would he run? He's not going to run. And if he does, he's only doing it for fun. You think this has been fun? Does anybody, does anybody think, Mercedes, you think this has been fun? I don't think you know. This has been just a ball. We've had a ball. But you know what? 
You know what? We're, we're doing so well and we're doing so much. No administration has ever done what we've done in the first three years. Nobody. With tax cuts and Supreme Court judges and 218 judges. We're up to 218, including D.C. But together, we're defeating the radical socialists, Democrats, the fake news media, the crooked politicians, and the hate-filled left-wing mob. And I told you I was going to be nice today, see? I, I said, let's be nice today. It's hard to be nice when they treat you so badly, right? Only a fool is nice when they treat you so badly. We're defending our faith, our values, our heritage, our borders our rights, and our God-given freedoms. We're doing that. This is an incredible... Look at all those people back there. This place has grown. Look at... Wow. Wow. That's fantastic. I don't know who they are, Matt, but they must be very special, this little group over here. For Matt to block out half the arena's group of people. I'm trying to figure out who are they. At first, I thought they were the fake news. I said, it's too bad they have such a good location. I don't know who you are, but you're very important. Still, very important people. <laughs> we're exposing the corruption of the Washington Democrats, and we're draining the Washington swap. Notice how he said the Washington swamp, because the national swamp comes after. I just didn't know how dirty it would be. I didn't know how deep it would be. When I said drain the swamp for a long time, you know, I was given that expression. A speechwriter gave it to me, said drain the swamp. I said, that's so hokey. I said, that's, such, that's the worst. I don't want to use it. Anyway, it ends up in one of the speeches. I said, we will drain the swamp, right? The place went crazy. I said, let's try it again. And we did it again, and the place was Now, here's the bad part. I never knew the swamp was so bad. It's really bad. But we're winning, and we're winning. Not easy, but we're winning. And you're going to see how we're winning now. You can see how we're winning. You can see how there's a plan. And we'll do that right after the break when we break down Idlib. I'll see you guys in just a bit after the short break. And we'll break down the real news that's going on that nobody really wants to talk about. They're kind of just kind of talking, but not really. And that's when you know it's news, when they're avoiding it like the plague. (laughs) So I'll see you guys in a bit. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tory. So um, 
we were listening to President Trump speak out in numbers, which was interesting um, for those paying attention. Uh, and we've noticed that the political sphere on the Dem side has tilted on its head. We see Pete, the Manchurian candidate, butt plug, Buttigieg, uh, pull out after he gave such a great speech in the morning and then he suddenly pulled out and, you know, um, he was a tiny mayor out in, out where he was, right? And he kind of just pulled out right away and it was, it was extremely interesting, wasn't it? How he just, um, yep, I'm out. And there's a lot of people that are saying, well, he pulled out because he got paid off. This is, this is what is going around that he, um, decided that he's ending his campaign, which CNN called historical, by the way, historical. And it was like, uh, how is it historical again? Makes no sense how it was historical. Uh, you know, it was, it was interesting. Uh, because of the patient, a patient that has popped up. I, and I'm just going to say that kind of uh, cloaked. I want you guys to listen to what he said after he decided that he is not going to continue his run. Um, <clears throat> this was very telling. Uh, the whole buying him out is not the case. Um, this is the case of why so abrupt? Oh, they bought him. Not really. That's not how it works. Uh, how it works is stuff comes out and you don't want it in the public because it's going to ruin things. So you decide to step away. What's coming out? Well, let him tell you. If you listen carefully, you can hear him tell you himself. Because... Wow, that crowd. Okay. There we go. Let's get, let's get to that. Thank you so much. We love you! It's so good to be in South Bend. Sometimes the longest way around really is the shortest way home. <laughs> Here we are. In the last few years, America has faced enormous challenges, from an economy in transition to a climate on the brink, to a president sowing chaos and discord across the very country he is responsible for uniting. And for many Americans, these challenges have amounted to a call to action. And so, like so many others, I thought deeply about what I could do to make a difference, what I could do to make myself useful. And it was in that spirit, with your help, that a year ago, we launched our campaign for the American presidency. We began this unlikely journey with a staff of four in a cramped office right here in South Bend, Indiana, right down Washington Street. No big email lists, no personal fortune. Hardly anybody knew my name, and even fewer could pronounce it. Wait a minute. 
no fortune, private jets, and funding the app for um, elections, okay? But South Bend showed everybody what to do. First name Mayor, last name Pete, so nobody got confused. But by every conventional wisdom, by every historical measure, we were never supposed to get anywhere at all. And then, as I said, that roller coaster February night a few weeks ago when Iowa shocked the nation, along that way, an improbable hope became an undeniable reality. Right? You could buy the app and you can get yourself Iowa. That's basically it. Let's skip over. In a divided nation, we saw fellow Democrats join with independents and, yes, some of those future former Republicans to choose a different politics. To choose a politics defined not by who we push away, but by how many we can call to our side. And we sent a message to every kid out there wondering if whatever marks them out as different means they are somehow destined to be less than. To see that someone who once felt that exact same way can become a leading American presidential candidate with his husband at his side. Okay, so that's it. So he was there testing the waters if everyone's ready for this. And what the Democrats are hoping for is that Bernie does take the nomination. This is how it's going, that Bernie takes the nomination. Because if the people want socialism... And they're open about it, then let's give them socialism. But remember, Pelosi told you herself, she doesn't really care who's president. Her focus is the House. Her focus is to maintain the people that came in and bring in some more. That is her focus. This is what he's telling you. We tested the waters. We wanted to see how far we got. We checked to see if the app would help us win. Didn't win. So now... We're at this point. Now, meeting, we said he's in there, what? Funding the DNC, giving them some money. They need money. They need lots of it. <laughs> and he's doing it. And like President Trump said, you know, all he could do is, you know, lose money. He pays a lot of money to get a lot of nothing. But, you know, his nothing is possibly maybe a cure. His nothing is possibly being omitted from certain things. Uh, that's his nothing. And that's not nothing. That's a really big something. Huge something. Now, the reason I say this is because we're getting a lot of out there stuff talking about um, doctors without borders. Apparently, these uh, non- Profits, these charities, are um, actually funds for human trafficking. And they started doing so by uh, classifying Castro's, well, you know, Cuban missions as human trafficking. See, the United States, having created this fiat currency that everyone's trading on, which is now quickly being replaced by the SHC, the synthetic uh, human uh, homogenous cur- currency, 
and I'm going to tell you, and I didn't misspeak, human currency, SHC, right, is being replaced. And this is why the gold price now is at $1,800. That's a pretty big jump, isn't it? Um, we also classify nations as to how they are. And um, Doctors Without Borders, a mission that is global, really, has been exposed, the Cuban arm of it only, yeah, right, as a human trafficking front. That is pretty incredible if you think about it. These nonprofits still operating. I mean, you know, my birthday's this weekend, and I was on Facebook, and it tells me, pick a charity. Can you believe that the Clinton Foundation that was supposedly shut down is still an option for a charity? I kid you not. So is the Clinton Health Initiative uh, up for a charity, you know, to nominate a charity that you want to get money on your behalf. Last year I did Judicial Watch. I'll probably do the same thing this year because, um, you know, there's no other charity that I would like money to go to because I know where they're going. That money's going straight to, straight to, to, to Fitton, who's, who, who drops with every darn FOIA and subpoena he drops, the guy grows muscle. Like, that's how he works out. He's, he's, he's a beast. Um, I want him to get the money if anyone wants to donate on my behalf or whatever. But, um, I'm just saying if I pick it because I don't want Facebook taking a cut. Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. See, this is the stuff that needs to be talked about. These, uh, organizations, the way that they set everything up, the way they put things together to obfuscate the real intentions of people. Before we head into the Syria, because this is going to be really meaty and, and, you know, we want to listen to General Milley and uh, Secretary Esper talk, I wanted to talk about something, just introduce it to you so you understand where I'm coming with HIV. So HIV, uh, I told you, is a an immune uh, response, right? That That's basically what it is. Um, but there's another disease because we hear that this uh, virus is actually transmitted uh, by eyes, too. <laughs> Have you heard it? Masks aren't doing anything because it's from your eyes. And I wanted to explain to you about something that we noticed you can see in the eyes of people. There's this disease called the Kreutzfeldt-Jacob disease. Um, other diseases that are similar to it uh, that have prions, basically, that's what they're called, they're prions, are um, Kuru is another one. Uh, it's very interesting because prions actually can be transmitted uh, not just... <laughs> okay. So we have, let me, let me, let me see how I'm going to give this to you. So BSC. So it's like, remember when, when beef caused mad cow's disease and people carried BSC, which is like the bovine supposedly transmitted blah, 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 because they ate beef from England. Here's a curious thing. If the cows were fed cows, right? And, you know, that's in essence a form of cannibalism. And they um, created these prions that we digested. Then digesting those prions wouldn't be an issue for us unless we had bovine DNA in us 
or if those prions were manufactured or created by the cows because they had eaten human too. I wanted to put it out there because we've talked about how viruses jump around. Now, it is no unknown, it's not unknown that we have used host animal cells for vaccinations in time. We used avian cells, we got the bird flu. We used porcine cells, we got the piggy flu, right? We've used bovine cells too. I actually worked in a lab where they were testing uh, to clone human beings, and the way he did it was by stripping a bovine um, cell right, of its DNA, supposedly, and then inserting human DNA to create a cloned human being. That's legit. You could look it up. That's legit it. And so that could be a vector that we used in a virus, or it could have been that that meal of bone and meat wasn't just cow. But so people, there are people around now that are walking around this today, that are having children today that ate beef from England that may carry BSE, which is this, this thing. Uh, we also have, you know, the disease, like I said, Critchfield Jacobs, the, you know, CJD and Kuru. Those create something called the prion disease. Um, and prions are, are deadly, right? Um, because here's what they do. So, you know, when your body creates proteins or, uh, you know, things you need in a, in the cell, these things kind of are like a mirror. So, you know how when you look at a mirror, um, you can read things that are backwards, but if you put something that's correct, it'll look backwards. So, that's basically what the prions do. They kind of make proteins misfold. This is just like bare bones, not getting into too much detail. So they're like a mirror. It's like opposite day. And so symptoms of, you know, things like this are, you know, depression, unusual, you know, sensation, involuntary muscle jerking, you know, like that thing that, you know, Hillary Clinton did, the nodding, that kind of stuff, going blind, not being able to move, not being able to speak, falling into comas, insomnia, you know, those are like symptoms. But, um... Patients that have the the CJD don't have flu symptoms or any fevers, but but they develop pneumonia and other infections a lot. People that have BSC or Kuru, which supposedly only happens in some you know Papua New Guinea, Australian, you know, you know, indigenous tribes, right? Because they like to eat their own people. Um, they actually get flu-like symptoms mm-hmm. and very severe, you know, lung infections, like, like a super flu, just, you know, so they're actually prone to lung issues, respiratory issues, like a flu. So I just thought... I would bring that up just to tie that in and let your imagination run wild because look at who's pushing the panic 
and look at how it's going. And remember, they're saying that it's like, what, 60, 70 people that have been infected in the whole United States of 500 million people? Not a lot. Now, the incubation period is really weird because they're saying it's two to 30 days, which is bizarre, bizarre, because flus can't incubate that long. Then they're telling you, oh, this flu can hang out on handles for nine days. And it's like, damn, what kind of super boogers does someone infected have where they can survive and not dry up and die for nine days, right? Because it's usually your boogers that go on handles and stuff. So, because viruses can't exist outside unless, unless this virus responds to markers within your blood like BSC. That's Bravo Sierra Echo. So I just thought I'd, I'd mention that for those out there curious before we enter into the realm of Idlib that is so coming true now. It's ridiculous. So to do that, I thought it would be important before I talk to listen to what uh, Secretary Esper and General Milley had to say about it um, in regards to the questions that are that they're being posed. Okay, take a listen. We are pushing some of that forward with the priority distribution going to this, the peninsula, Korea. Jennifer? Um, Secretary Esper, what will the U.S. do if Turkey invokes Article 5 in Syria? And General Milley, um, were Russian pilots or warplanes involved in killing those Turkish troops on the ground in Syria? <clears throat> I'm not going to speculate on Article 5 at this point in time. Turkey's, uh, Turkey obviously is engaged in, uh, in combat operations over there, and we'll take it one step at a time. I had a brief conversation with Secretary General Stoltenberg with regard to this matter. And like I said, as an alliance, we take this one step at a time uh, so that we are, we're prepared for what may happen. We don't have uh, clear, uh, unambiguous intelligence on exactly who was flying what planes. Uh, point one. Point two, as I personally called uh, my counterparts in Turkey and uh, in Russia, uh, and urged uh, de-escalation as rapidly as possible. Should they open the border between Turkey and close it to Greece? That's a that's a political question, if you will. It's so what are you calling on Turkey to do? With respect to whom? With, with regards to the border with Syria and the, the um, displaced people, nearly 900,000 who want to cross into safety, do you think that they should open their border to that? And do you think they should close their border and stop pushing immigrants across Tur- the Turkey's got to make that decision. My conversation with the defense minister last week was to, uh, was to share with him our support for Turkey as a, as a NATO ally and member and, uh, and to point out the simple fact that uh, Russians aren't always good partners. Okay, so did you hear that silence? It was like Secretary Esper looking at General Milley, General Milley looking at Secretary Esper, like, what do we do here? Like, what do we say? Because this is really going down. Remember, I told you, Turkey is loyal to no one. I told you that they were going to bully the EU into helping them. They've been begging the United States to give them Patriot missiles, and we're not giving it to them. And so here they are, like, should they shut the border down in Greece and not release them into Europe? Should they stop sending them off on dinghies so they can drown in the water between Turkey and Greece? Should they just open their border and just take in all these Syrian refugees? By the way, total lie. Do you know who's washing up on the shores of Greece? Yeah. Ethiopians. No, no, that's a lie. Sorry. I'm, I, (laughs) I overspoke on that one. Eritreans. Somalis, Iraqis, Afghanis, Pakistanis. So where are the Syrians in those groups? Because 
don't tell me that we got a Pakistani stranded in Syria. And how did a Somali end up in Syria? I mean, you could even watch the videos. Most of them are African. And so, uh, uh, and so that was the extent of my conversation with them. Obviously, at the political level, they need to decide what they're going to do with regard to their borders. That involves the EU and their neighbor countries, and uh, they got to work their way through that with them. Uh, one more question, uh, Tara. I should, I, I should add that the United States is looking at providing increased humanitarian aid for the, for the persons in Syria. That's one thing I had a conversation with Secretary of State about that. No. Thank you. Um, also. Oh, my gosh. He gave her the death stare. She was like, you mean we're going to give him air support? He's like, no. Like, no. Ooh. He was angry. And I make him right. I make him 100% right. That was super wrong, what she said. He was like, no. And that's the thing. They're inching and pushing and hoping that we go to war. Because then this is something else they could wear as a hat onto President Trump to say that it's his fault. That's basically it. Uh, and we've been talking about it. So we already knew it was, it was, you know, uh, brewing over and, um, it's going insane. And, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty much on it. They're, they're pushing. They want it. Uh, you know, they want this war because this is how they get things done by pushing fear. And that's the thing. We don't want to push fear. You know, I was watching, I was in an office this morning and I was watching, um, you know, three screens. So on the top was Fox, second one was MSNBC and the bottom was CNN. All of them had wall-to-wall coverage about coronavirus and how everyone's going to die and how there were so many people and how, you know, um, you know, people are dying And I was thinking, but no one's talking about what's going on in the Eastern Mediterranean right now. And, you know, this whole deal with the Taliban just sent them up in flames. Uh, You know, there's uh, millions of people, hundreds of thousands already penetrated the border, which, by the way, these migrants are armed with tear gas and guns. Like, tell me, how, how do refugees have that? How do refugees have that? That's that's the interesting thing. They want the U.S. to be asked about Article 5, invoke it, let's go after Russia. Because you know what they want to say? Oh, look, President Trump doesn't want to go to war with Russia because he's a Russian agent. You know, that's the thing. But I want you guys to re-listen to that part where she's like, are you sending air support? Just listen to him. Yeah, that's one thing. I had a conversation with Secretary of State about that. Air support? No. Um, also on coronavirus, uh, there may be a cluster, it seems, in the Pacific Northwest. Are soldiers at, say, uh, Joint Base Lewis-McChord or at Kitsap, are you doing any additional precautions there um, to test? And Okay, wait a minute. Let's get to the Syria part again because we need to get to it. But, you know, they don't want to. Um, and it's going to be a constant engagement. This is going to be a long, windy bumpy road there will be ups and downs and we'll stop and start that's going to be the nature of this over the next uh, days weeks and months and so i'm not going to get too excited about what happens at the moment we're just going to deal with each situation as it arises and make sure we stay focused on the mission the mission here again number one is to make sure afghanistan never again becomes a safe haven for terrorists to attack this country 
We've been very successful for the past 18 years for doing that. And then number two, support our Afghan partners in the process. And then number three, again, as we can, bring our troops home, withdraw our presence in the country. But that's that's our commitment. That's what we intend to do. And we're going to stay focused on that because at the end of the day, the best path, if not the only path forward, is through a political agreement between the warring parties. So what this spokesman said is not what we, is not I, the U.S. I don't know. You're quoting me something I haven't seen or heard or read. I don't know who the person is. I don't know exactly what they're saying. So the main Taliban spokesman. Oh, wow. She like quoted the Taliban and said, is this true? It's like, yeah, you want to take the Taliban to their word? Sure. Now, let's talk about the situation at the Greece um, Turkey borders for a second. Now, I, I, I want to take you guys back in time where we were talking on the air, where I told you that they would weaponize the borders and the borders are going to be weaponized for the pure reason of blackmail. They are going to blackmail the European Union into jumping in and helping them. Now, that's funny because, you know, they saw to sit sides with Russia. And that's funny because, you know, they had a big pocket called Qatar and they had Al Qaeda. And now Al Qaeda has been moved right back to Afghanistan. The Taliban are no longer supporting Al Qaeda. All the weapons that have been seized by the Russians in the U.S. And remember, on the M4 in Syria, the motorway there, M4 motorway, U.S. and Russia are both patrolling together. It's important. Together. Now, I need to make something clear so people understand this. Russia has a mutual defense agreement. They have a massive naval base on the shores of Syria, the only access point they have to the Mediterranean, right? And if Turkey go, if, if Syria goes to war, they go to war. Now, Turkey has, you know, I don't know how they come up with this stuff, but they're like, you know, we decide what goes on in Syria and we're going to bomb the Syrians, the Syrians, because it's Assad's regime. They say Assad is the president of Syria. You don't like it. The tough noogies. You, Turkey, can't come in. But now they're showing the people what I've been telling you. They're nothing but warmongers. You have to remember that in the 1800s, nations began liberating themselves in the Balkans and even Greece gained their independence on the 25th of March, 1821. Because they had enslaved all of Europe from the, from the um, 1400s and onwards. Enslaved, like raped, pillaged, burned churches, everything. And they had enslaved them. And with the rise of the U.S. power, right, the allies or the global order got them in check. They said, all right, enough. We had the Spanish inquisitions going on, right? And they got rid of some of the Muslims, as they called them, not Muslims, Muslims. Uh, they, and they pushed them back into the belly of the far uh, eastern med. And it was there where there was a battle between the Persians and the Ottomans. So the Iranians, the original Persians, closed that up and kept them at bay. They still maintained a portion of Greece and maintained a portion of Armenia and other Balkans and called itself Turkey. Now, Turkey also owned Mecca. And they were forced to relinquish it to the Saudis because at that time, the Saudis had brought up oil. That's black gold. They had a lot of 
power behind them, which was the Western nations that wanted to get a foothold. And they knew that the Saudis would be happy. They knew that the UAE would be happy if they, you know, um, had the Ottomans give up their territory because they owned it. And we're talking mid-1900s. We're not talking like 1716. We're talking mid-1900s. These were negotiations. Um, from 1911 uh, all the way to 1974. There were negotiations. 1974, the Turks were so pissed that they wanted to invade Syria and uh, Cyprus. And they successfully took over half of Cyprus. This is real stuff. This is real history. This is real bare-bones stuff that happened that nobody likes to talk about. 1974, they took over half of Cyprus. In 1980, Greece was like, man, we've been paying these United Nations portions when we're broke. And you guys let them just take over, you know, um, NATO. We're part of NATO. What is what is Turkey doing? They're just taking it and we're just like, oh, okay, no problem. Cyprus is part of NATO. Like, why? Greece is part of NATO. Why did you guys take that? We're out. They got out for two years and then came back in thinking, shoot, we can't team up with America because America is part of the EU and NATO. So bad administration, right? Whoops. Uh, we'll, we'll change that. So we got back into NATO. Right. The, we got them all back on track. We got them all back on track and we got all our NATO nations. Turkey, though, maintained Turkey had never been consistent on paying. So we thought, OK, if Greece is paying and they're not kind of paying, then maybe we can make decisions on how the hostilities between these two nations can be, you know, brought to a halt. Now, the, the hostilities they have is, you know, very deeply rooted and it's more so a religious hostility because, um, Hagia Sophia, which is like the center of Orthodox Christianity, was turned into a, a mosque. And now it's a museum, but they had turned it into a mosque and they're thinking of turning it into a mosque. And they added to this structure that they had created back in the days with the Greek Empire because Greece owned Turkey. Tripoli, uh, you know, the where Troy, that's that's located in Turkey. Because that used to be Greece. Uh, this is the invasion, you know, that we said of the Ottomans. The Ottomans were the radical Islamic terrorists of, you know, the thir- the the fifteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth, and sixteenth century. They were insane. They had gone all the way up to Scotland. These people were maiming people like nobody's business, and had no no business still existing. I don't know how and who negotiated this ticking time bomb, but there it is. And now the world is seeing it for itself. They are not going to let Idlib go. They are going to go as hard as they can because they want it. So I want you guys to listen to what uh, France, their news station is saying of, are there any chances of a ceasefire deal between Moscow and Turkey? Now, See how they're flipping the story? See, Moscow isn't really at war with Turkey. It's Syria. Moscow is like Syria's NATO. You go to war, I go to war. That's the way it is, because they have an agreement. Kind of like the same agreement that Secretary Pompeo signed with Greece in October of 2019. Let's remember that, because if Greece goes to war, we go to war. In Moscow. 
depends on what happens on the ground between now and Thursday. You know, Putin and Erdogan have spoken on the phone on several occasions in the past few weeks. At official level, their countries have had several rounds of negotiations. None of these has managed to get the two countries to shift their positions. Putin says Idlib is Syria, Turkey has no business there, and Syrian President Bashar Assad is entitled to enforce his government's authority by crushing all opposition in Idlib. Erdogan's position is Assad is illegitimate, he has killed thousands of his own people, and Turkey is not going to allow Assad to get rid of his remaining opposition by driving another million Syrians into Turkey. Did you hear that? So Turkey decides you're not legitimate, so I'm coming in. Kind of like they said, this agreement that these waters aren't ours is not legitimate, so we're just going to start drilling because we said so. Even the whole, the rest of the world's like, yo, but that's like Cyprus. Yo, but that's like Greece. Yeah, I don't care what you say. I mean, I, I know what I'm talking about. You see how brazen it is? And they're like totally cloaking it over. They're putting lipstick on this pig, you know, and pushing it to you in a way like, yeah, he's like totally illegitimate. Dude, Syria is Assad's, period. And he has every right to defend his territory. You know, until one of those two presidents shifts their position, one won't get a ceasefire in Idlib. But if in the next three days, uh, Turkey manages to establish a clear military advantage uh, in Syria, uh, Putin might blink and might, uh, uh, you know, agree to Erdogan's terms for a ceasefire. It's very interesting that tonight the U.S. special envoy for Syria, James Jeffrey, is arriving here in Turkey, and he is going to meet Erdogan, clearly hoping to prime him uh, with uh, what America can offer uh, before he flies to Moscow on Thursday. Jasper, like you said, uh, Turkey hosts millions of Syrian refugees. And as the violence in Idlib displaces more people, it's decided to no longer stop refugees from trying to reach Europe. So what's the... Guys, there aren't any refugees in Idlib that are Syrian going to Turkey. Okay? Again, the people washing up on the shores, Afghani, Eritrean, Somali, Iraqi, Pakistani, not Syrian. What's the situation on the Turkey-Greece border like right now? On the land border between Greece and Turkey, small groups of people are managing, refugees are managing to cross through to Greece. They're cutting holes in fences. But much bigger groups are being held back by the Greek police. And a humanitarian calamity is developing there because one has thousands of people sleeping outdoors and freezing temperature, no shelter, no food. On the naval border, hundreds of people are managing to cross in small rubber dinghies uh, to the Greek islands, principally Lesbos. Uh, so the... <laughs> The sea border is, is more leaky than the land border. Uh, and uh, the European foreign ministers are going to meet this week uh, to discuss what to do about this crisis. However, appeals to Turkey will not work. Uh, Turkey feels that it has borne the brunt, the burden of holding the refugees back from Europe 
for five, six, seven years now. And uh, Turkey says it will allow uh, the refugees uh, to cross to Greece until the situation in Idlib changes. In other words, it is saying Europe must get Russia to get Assad in Damascus to change the situation in Idlib. He means, I want northern Syria or else I release the Kraken. He knows exactly what he's doing. And the people in Idlib fighting are Al-Qaeda. He's funding terrorists to attack people in Syria. That's horrific. That is horrible. Listen to this. Calmest nights that uh, Idlib province has seen uh, in many days now. Uh, that's a part, of course, from fighting in the south of the province between regime forces and rebel groups, with rebel groups uh, taking back uh, nine villages from the regime. But the main theater, if you will, uh, of this operation so far. I just want to say rebel groups or Al-Qaeda, ISIS. The skies were quiet, and the reason for that is probably because Russia made an announcement on Sunday evening. It said uh, that it would no longer guarantee uh, the security and the safety of Turkish aircraft in Syrian skies, a veiled threat to Turkey uh, after, as you said, it downed two uh, Suhoi combat planes uh, belonging to uh, the Syrian regime, as well as bombing that military airport near Aleppo that was far outside uh, of its uh, combat lines, so to speak, uh, so far in, in, in Idlib province. And now, of course, the next moves we'll see will have to depend on what Russia decides to do. Huh. Russia, 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 Russia. It's Syria because Russia has a mutual defense agreement. But now it's really, really escalating. And here's an analysis by France 24 today where they talk about what Turkey's interests are. This is really interesting to reorganize uh, these different groups, gathering them from different parts of Syria. And uh, the idea was actually to structure them into a, a, an alternative a national Syrian army. But uh, here is the plan. It was armed and trained and backed by Turkish forces. But indeed, in these kind of conflicts, at the end of the day, you face some other regular armies, and including uh, the Syrian army, of course. So some clashes erupted. And at the end of the day, some Turkish, uh, some dozens of Turkish soldiers were killed. So Turkey uh, was actually inside a, a full-on escalation. Well, the point is that it starts to, to try to contain it, because on one side, they try to prevent the massive flow of refugees when actually IDPs, internally displaced persons, from Idlib to inside Turkey by going through to Syrian territory. And in the same time, they try to not to escalate too much the conflict with Syria uh, because it has a lot of consequences with Russia and Iran on the other side. So the leaders of Turkey and Russia are meeting on Thursday. What can we expect and, and why meet now? Well, it's uh, in the interest of both countries to play down a little bit this parallel violence that we've seen uh, uh, these last days, because on Russia's side, remember that Syria is still a, a, a 
in a, a country in conflict, it is still destroyed, it is still uh, in need of massive amount of money, and now if Russia loses the appearance of being the, the deal uh, broker in the, in the country, well, there's nothing left except perhaps a couple of military bases there. So it's in the interest of the Kremlin to take the lead again on that, even if the realities are, are quite harsh. And uh, on the Turkish side, of course, like I said, it's in the interest uh, also to contain a little bit, not to provoke the higher fate of, of uh, Russia and Iran as well. Now, Turkey in the last few years has taken in millions of Syrian uh, refugees. And, of course, with the fighting in uh, northwestern uh, uh, Syria, there are now more people gathering at the border. Turkey says it can't take in any more. And just recently it said it's not even going to stop refugees now from trying to reach Europe. Is that part of a tactic to put pressure on Europe so that who, who you know, leaders wanting to probably avoid another refugee crisis, to then in turn for Europe to put pressure on Russia? Is that the thinking behind that? Yeah, it's, it's quite open strategy, by the way. I mean, uh, President Erdogan already did it. Yeah, you mean the strategy that we talked about here on Red State Talk Radio in 2018, but I digress. In 2016, uh, asking for billions of euros uh, to uh, deal with the uh, Syrian refugee crisis, uh, and so did we. But now, again, we are under pressure of, of President Erdogan. Uh, yep, it, it's it's complete strategy. I'm not completely sure that the European would pressure Russia that much or that much more that it would do uh, with the, such a, an afflux at the Greek and, and Bulgarian borders. But uh, it is the way that Ankara chose. It is also the new power politics that happen in the European neighborhood, like elsewhere in the world. All right, Julian Theron, thank you very much indeed for your time. Huh, it's interesting. So now they're like, yeah, it's part of their strategy because they asked us for money in 2016 and we gave it to them. No, they didn't. We reported that here too. And now we're at the point where there are uh, migrants at the at the entry point of entry border that CNN advertised. Uh, can go there. Now CNN is like, oh my gosh, you know, they're um, doing this and that and it's so bad and uh, horrific and it's like, but you promoted it. Um, and the weird thing is, is that these refugees have bags of food, they have water and there's a lot of, you know, Caucasian people hanging out too and there are a bunch of Africans that are on dinghies and you're just like, wait a minute, I thought it was Syrians. Syrians are not African descent. So, um, with clouds of tear gas drifting across. I want you guys to listen to this Syrian migrant killed as thousands attempt to cross from Turkey into Greece. Now, they're saying that there was a Syrian that was trying to cross the border and that Greek security forces intervened and probably shot him or something like that. I don't know. But there, there's so many stories around it. But what you have to pay attention to is go to YouTube, type in Greece, Turkey border. You'll see that these migrants. Migrants, these refugees, these, oh, woe is me, are number one, causing harm to their children. There is a video that Amy Mack shared where, and, and Kitty Hopkins retweeted it, and I put it on Facebook, and I retweeted it on Twitter, where they're literally putting children's hands in fire so that they can say that they were harmed, and then running and crying, such acting, and they have tear gas, they have guns, they have weapons, and they're throwing it at the Greek border patrol and the police. It's incredible. Take a listen to what, what France is reporting today. 
With clouds of tear gas drifting across the border between Turkey and Greece, the situation is tense. Over 13,000 migrants from multiple nations have amassed along the boundary after Turkey opened its borders to the European Union. With Turkish President Erdogan hinting many more are on the way, the situation has prompted the EU to send reinforcements to help Greek and Bulgarian authorities. The borders are guarded well. The people are here and security has been increased. Our troops will do whatever is needed to guard Greece's borders. With the land borders seemingly secure, some have taken to the seas. According to news agency AFP reports, around 500 people crossed onto the Greek island of Lesbos in a fleet of vessels. The border is closed. Why you come? Tensions between locals and migrants are at boiling point. Did you hear the guy screaming at the dinghy that they're pushing away from the coast? They're like, the border is closed. Why you come? And, and they're pushing them away. They didn't let them get off the boat. As new migrant camps are being built on the island to deal with the influx. Some locals took out their anger on these German journalists, kicking their camera into the water. <laughs> and that was a CNN journalist, by the way. German correspondent, they kicked their cameras and everything into the water. They're, they are beating up mainstream media because they're not reporting what's going on. This, see, the one thing about Greeks is that they are patient. You can smack them, spit on them, beat them, you know, until they get to this point. And when that point happens, just like it did with the Turkish people, they will come out and, with sticks and stones, just like they did. All these armies supposedly, you know, failed uh, to Hitler. And then Greeks on donkeys with sticks and stones held them back and had them freeze their butt off because he had to come down because they kept pushing back, you know, Mussolini and Hitler's troops all the way into Albania so they can stay out so they can't get get what think about it what was the target that hitler was going for think again oh yeah idlib so syria is a very important geographic steganographic point turkey's move to open the border reneges on a deal struck with the eu in 2016 in which the country promised to stop the flow of syrian refugees in exchange for billions of euros Many see this latest development as Erdogan's attempt to pressure Europe into supporting him in his conflict in Syria. Erdogan has said the EU has broken that deal, opening the doors for the 3.7 million Syrian refugees and others living within Turkey. As migrants on the border continue to clash with troops, the UN's refugee agency has urged all sides to refrain from using excessive force. The EU's Foreign Affairs Council has announced it will convene an emergency meeting in the coming days to discuss the unfolding situation. What unfolding situation? The one they created? That's the thing. So why is the situation on the border escalating? Listen to what Merkel's army tells you. Between Greece and Turkey, Greek police deploy water cannon to drive back people trying to cross the border into the EU. Athens says it has blocked around 10,000 migrants who are trying to leave Turkey after President Recep Tayyip Erdogan said his country had opened the gates to Europe. The Greek authorities have sent an automated text message to mobile phones along the border areas of Greece. They're urging people against trying to enter. 
Turkish soldiers have been seen patrolling with wire cutters to cut the fence and guide the illegal migrants here. This was only stopped because Greek soldiers patrolling at that point intervened and repaired the damaged fence. These people from Afghanistan have made it across to Greece. Oh, wait a minute. Did they just say Afghanistan? I thought they were all Syrian refugees, didn't you guys? Wait, what? What? But that doesn't mean they're safe. This is our life. Every time to struggle. And uh, saving our life and surviving to work. And that's it. The Greek police are arresting migrants they find on their side of the border. They'll either be sent back or even jailed for entering the country illegally. And DW correspondent Dorian Jones joins me now from Istanbul. Think about it. They're going to jail all these people. Who's going to be paying for their meals and health care and, and clothing? Oh, that's right. The citizens of the country they invaded kind of sounds like what's going on in Mexico. Dorian, the Greek government has made serious accusations against Turkey, accusing it of using refugees as pawns to exert diplomatic pressure. Yeah, because he so didn't do that, right? I mean, no, he didn't say, well, you broke the agreement, so take it, unless you help me in Syria. Totally not quid pro quo using human beings as pawns, but we digress, right? Has there been a response from Ankara? Well, Ankara has said that any criticism of its decision to stop migrants from leaving the country will is absolute rampant hypocrisy. They say Turkey has an unblemished record of, of dealing with the world's refugee crisis, saying the country is, uh, is hosting around four million refugees, three and a half million from Syrian civil war and a half a million from other conflicts from the region. And it says despite it uh, hosting such a huge number of people, the support it's getting from the international community has been very little and it says that it simply cannot host any more refugees and it says those who want to leave are free to do so yeah it just happens to be at the time that you know syria is kicking the tush of al-qaeda and turkey and telling them to get out of their country tell us more about the people caught up in this conflict in this international power play the migrants who are trying to cross into the EU and who are languishing there in Turkey. Well, they are from all across the region. You have uh, people from Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, uh, even from uh, various uh, countries across Africa uh, are part of this thousands of people that are believed now to be on the Greek and Bulgarian borders. And of course, you as well. And this just underscores how important a country Turkey is to hosting the region's uh, refugees and why it's seen as so important to controlling those people leaving the country. But Ankara is, is clear that uh, it cannot uh, host these people anymore and there are expected to be growing numbers of refugees heading towards the border. As Ankara makes clear, it's not going to change its policy and this will add concerns among humanitarian groups over the conditions they are facing. It is still winter, it's freezing at night. Many of the people there are families with ch- young children even uh, concerned about feeding these people. What are they going to do for sanitation as the numbers are expected to build up in the coming days ahead. Now, Turkey is already hosting over three million refugees from the Syrian conflict, as you mentioned, Dorian. 
Yeah, tons of Somalis, Eritreans, Afghanis, and Iraqis, because they're all part of the Syrian conflict, but we don't hear Syrian. And he's worried, he, he's saying that he's not, you know, gonna stop them from leaving. Well, yo, he's helping them leave. He's paying, Erdogan is paying for buses to take them to the northern borders. You heard the mayor of that bordering town to the borders that the soldiers, the Turkish soldiers are literally guiding people to snip the fences and go in. And here's the other one. Turkish drones are scouting the waters of the Aegean to see where there is no patrol by the Navy or where, you know, they they are patrolling in time sockets so that they can urge people to leave with rafts to go across. So they're helping them leave, not I'm not doing anything about it. He's literally helping push them out there. More are on the way. Is any progress being made in de-escalating that conflict in Syria? Well, that's the thing that Turkey will be looking for. It's looking for international support for its military operation inside Idlib. This is main, this is much not as aimed at the European Union, but the NATO members within the European Union, who Ankara is looking for to support its call for military support, in particular deployment of uh, anti-aircraft missiles, Patriot missiles. That is what Ankara wants in support of its military operation, because it says unless that operation succeeds and makes the region of Idlib stable, Turkey will face one and a half, possibly two million more refugees. And Ankara says that's not only Turkey's problem, that will be Europe's problem. Dorian, thank you very much. Uh, DW. Yeah, it will be Turkey's problem. It, it will be the European Union's problem because he's going to un... And in them are terrorists. I mean, they're singing Alu Akbar as they're throwing things at the border patrol agents in Greece. They are literally <laughs> saying we're going to kill them all. They say it themselves. And you have to wonder, how do they get tear gas how do they get weapons how do they get food and they're setting up camp and they want you to feel sorry for them when they're pretending that you know their children are hurt so you can have oh i'm so sorry oh this is a big problem listen i told you there was going to be war i told you it's going to spark from there right now they they have these people coming in with dinghies to islands where these islanders are known to to be vicious and every because all of them have their own history in regards to the war now remember greece liberated itself only over a little over 100 100 what was it 120 20 80 200 years ago actually so 200 years ago uh, shy a year so 19 so uh, 199 the final borders were those islands those were the most vicious fight to create those borders uh People from the island of Hios are known <laughs> to be very vicious. Anyway, anyway, they're known to be very vicious. So they're not going to take it lightly. They're going to push forward. They're going to push hard. And it's going to be a hot mess because time is up. And now you watch Putin come in. And he's going to come in from the north, like I said. Uh, on that note, I want to wish everyone a wonderful evening. God bless from all of us here at Red State Talk Radio. And I will see you on the radio um, tomorrow. Same time, same place.